So, uh, welcome back to the podcast. This is the Aina McNamara Fitness Podcast, and today we have Paul, Paul Dermody on the podcast. Um, so, for anyone that doesn't know Paul, I'll just hand it over to you. Paul, who are you and what do you do? Oh, who am I? What a question. Um, so, by profession, online personal trainer, um, living in Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam, I've been working as an online trainer for a number of years now, nearly three years fully online as such. And yeah, I don't, I, you know what? It's funny. You ask me who I am. I don't love defining myself off my career. And then when I'm put on the spot, it's like, do I describe my hobbies, my interests, my age, myself? Uh, but yeah, 31 years old, generally um, enthusiastic about things like travel, uh, just about life in general, about learning. And obviously my job, which I love and makes obviously a significant portion of my life. So um, trying not to put your listeners to sleep. That's me in the nuttiest of nutshells. Cool. Uh, thank you. So, yeah, so anyone that doesn't really know Paul, I would definitely recommend checking him out, especially if you're like looking to lose weight and stuff um, or significant amount of weight particularly. I would check him out in his podcast because he he's very good um, and he works with a lot of clients and successfully that have lost a lot of weight. So I would check him out. Um, so just I suppose the first thing is like that for anyone that's listening as well, you've been like a fairly big mentor for me, like just as a kind of a role model as a coach, because I like your ethics and the way that you work and everything. Um, and I'm just interested to see who kind of, or has there been people that have like inspired you along the way? I love this question and I appreciate the kind words, by the way. Thank you. That's something very humbling to hear. It's also nice if, my effect on you is to try and conduct yourself ethically. It's a really nice thing to be told. Yeah, my parents, 1,000%. If, if you have anything nice to say about me, you can direct that all towards my parents and my older sister. They're my biggest influences in my life. They've always put emphasis on things like helping people, being kind, being nice, not being judgmental. That's actually a big one. My, my parents used to actually say growing up, especially now in 2020, how apt is this in 2021, say, my parents used to say, never judge anybody, never judge anybody on anything other than how they come across their behavior, their character, etc. Uh, but they're very kind, very generous and giving people. And anytime I find myself in certain situations, I always think to my parents and my sister, they're obsessed with happiness. They just talk about happiness all the time, which fortunately has rubbed off on me i actually wasn't aware in a, how much my parents and my family talk about happiness until my girlfriend orla pointed out when your family just talks about being happy all the time i was like they, they do talk about being happy all the time don't they so i got very lucky because it's given me a nice sense of what matters in life so that i'm going to even go off on a bit of a tangent here but you may or may not be familiar with the uh, i want to call it the income satiety study basically the beyond a certain point money doesn't make you happy luckily i kind of go to this luckily that's not something i'll ever have to learn the hard way because i've seen my parents struggle to make money growing up and i've seen two of the very happiest people that i know and i've seen my parents retire out the back end of having three young children and two low incomes two moderate to low incomes and i see how happy they're the whole time and i would have never known or gone without i would have never known stress as a child for example so now that i have a bit more perspective on life and i appreciate the value of money and i've been given a an opportunity to live life 
specifically on my terms, I am so grateful to my parents for the attitude, the value, the ethics that they've instilled in me, because I'd love to hear anyone with a halo around my head saying, call me St. Paul, you know, I reside in heaven, but it's just all I've ever known growing up was try, do your best and be kind to other people and be good to other people and don't do wrong by others. And do you know what? It's a good strategy for life because it's something I've noticed that people, it does precede you. So by me not being a complete another fuck face to other people, I don't even know if I'm allowed to swear, by the way. I just yeah, you can, yeah. I got, um, by me not... The, I, I got the, <laughs> one of my first podcasts, my, my aunt listened to it and she said, oh, you know, uh, the American listeners aren't going to be happy with all the swear words. And I'm like, well, I don't think there's that many Americans listening anyway, so fuck it. So, yeah, conquering, just, conquering the US demographic. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, basically, I, what I was saying, I think, anyway, basically, I've been afforded a lot by my parents i mean i, I do have influences that have come and gone into my life it would be a, a, a shame and an injustice to my friend brian Keane if i didn't message him in terms of business absolutely been massive in the business context but to me to me nothing matters outside of happiness and personal fulfillment and values and i mean that so if i was to look at somebody that i look up to and this is really, I think this is actually really practical advice. The reason I don't think I admire or, or pedestalize anyone excessively is because I just, if I don't know anybody's in ethics and personal values and how they treat their family and, and their partners and the people closest to them, then I have no scope for what kind of human being that person is. And, you know, material achievements are, they're bleh. I, biggest cliche ever, ain't it? But it's true. As someone now who is spending more time in social circles where I see more and more millionaires, there is no difference in happiness between people's income. There's no difference in, 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 in the happiness of people who have an extremely high income. Here in Vietnam, I have a few friends who are like very well-to-do people. They're, they're crushing it in the context of the financial game. Really lovely people. I love them. But they're no happier than my parents were who were making 20 grand a year. So that is probably what I've been influenced by the most of my life. My parents and my family and then a smattering of wonderful friends along the way. Cool. Um, yeah, that's a really good answer. I'm glad as well you touched on kind of happiness and income. And that's, it's something I ne- I've never actually talked about properly on this podcast, but um, I would like to talk a bit more about it. So like in terms of happiness, because I know a lot of the people you help, it's not just helping them lose like 10, 20 kg. It's helping them actually feel happy. What are some of the, the biggest things that you've seen have that have been able to help people be happy and what are some of the what are some of the maybe misconceptions around happiness with clients you've worked with i think having a healthy degree of skepticism in your own thoughts is one of the best thing you can ever do what i find and this is universal this isn't just with weight loss we place by default too much in my opinion too much trust in our own thoughts you can be wrong and you can be confident at the same time and believe me and i have been and you can create a damning conclusion or a damning certainty in your mind about a certain topic that can actually be a mental prison in which you stay. It's a lot nicer, or shall we say, it's a lot more comfortable for the human mind to be deliberate and certain, no matter how detrimental that thing might be, than to accept a degree of uncertainty. And if I was to give you an example, a very practical example of how weight loss and happiness might tie in, it's much easier to believe you cannot control yourself around a quote unquote bad food, even though that might inherently be true. 
or it's even much easier to just think it's a bad food full stop, even though we both know that's not inherently true because it's devoid of context. It's not as easy to say, okay, well, my thoughts are deemed that this is quote unquote bad, but perhaps I'm not seeing both sides of the argument. Bad when? Bad for who? Bad in what quantity? Bad in all situations? And one small example, I was talking to a client recently about this. Lovely woman. I have the height of time for her. We get on great, more of a friend relationship than a coach uh, client relationship. When we started, she messaged me and I'll never forget the, the DM I sent her back. I said, look, I'm, I'm going to give you a shout later. I'm actually out for a couple of pints and some pizza. And however, the next day we got talking about it. I asked her what she, she mentioned something. So I asked her about pizza and beer and I said, so is that bad? And she said, yes. And I said, so it's bad full stop. And then she said, yes. And she was kind of backtracking a little bit at this point because she knew I was going somewhere and I wasn't trying to be a dick. I was just more trying to just evoke right. a little bit of reflection yeah exactly yeah. and just create a sense of consciousness around thought so i said so pizza beer bad in all circumstances and i'm much less certain yeah and i said okay well my best mate's over for the night and we went for pizza beer so should i not have gone to meet my best mate obviously backtracking and i said would it not be fair to say that perhaps in the context of my social health pizza and beer is good when it satisfies a social health desire but in the context of my nutrition weight management desires it shouldn't make up the majority and i know it sounds subtle it sounds like a very small thing to say but that alone can be a good way to create and encourage introspection that your thoughts aren't inherently true they're not even inherently yours and that's one example of how that can lead to more happiness because if i come along or if you come along to me and by healthily and genuinely and with good intention, question why it is you see the world or see certain things the way you see them. You can start to then think, maybe, maybe this guy's got a point. Maybe this woman's got a point. Maybe I have been conditioned to see things in shades of black and white, and that's keeping me in a mental prison. And there's a line, I'm reading a book in Spanish right now. You know I'm learning Spanish, and I'm reading a, a book. It's the same author as the dude who wrote The Four Agreements. Now, it's taken me about 46,000 years to read it because I'm a slow Spanish reader. But in the book, I will not um, forget this line. He says, we live, the strongest prisons we create are in our own minds. Now, you'll have heard that 10,000 times. I've heard it 10,000 times. But for me, that's the time that landed. You know, vivamos en nuestra propio carceles. We live in our own prisons, in, in, in our own mind. You hear different in Spanish. It hit different in Spanish. That's a good way to, yeah, absolutely. Maybe that's why. But we do. We live in our own prisons um, for whatever reason, whether it's us creating false dichotomies, which is the false belief that something is all of A or all of B with no middle ground, or, or whether it's just false beliefs that we've accepted. Like if I tell you with sincere certainty, Aina, that, you know, never, never, never consume dihydrogen monoxide. It will kill you. And then I prove that thousands and millions of people throughout history have died because of dihydrogen monoxide, monoxide consumption. You might believe that and think, oh, I'm never touching that chemical. I won't even research it. But that's water and many people have drowned. So when I say something with such a high degree of certainty, like that, that sounded like a, a scary statistic yeah. when I used the fancy words. But just don't go into the deep end of the swimming pool. And all of a sudden, it changes the context of the situation. So happiness is, is a, it's obviously very complicated, and I have the answers for nobody. But I think you're your own best healer. You're your own best solution. You're your own best mentor. I think you're your own best teacher. That doesn't mean you will go on the journey alone. Sometimes you need to have that provoked by other people. And, and everybody can 
teach you at least something in life, not necessarily everything, but something in life, but you're ultimately your own best guide in life. But that requires, in my opinion, a more, a more open mind and a strong acceptance of deep, deep, deep uncertainty. Like literally the only certainty in my opinion in human existence is the constant need to acknowledge our own uncertainty and our own ignorance. I know that's a bit of a rabbit hole and a tangent to go down, but it's still seemingly only scratching the surface as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I think, I think as well that a lot of it is the problem that nobody likes to be wrong or feel wrong. So to even question your beliefs is to admit that you were wrong about something, you know, um, and I'm even like, I, I always admit when I'm wrong and I act like the stupidest person in the room so that I can learn because I think you can learn from everyone. But even like, you know, the likes of meal plans was something I, I did heavily like three years ago. And now I look at that and I'm like, like, you know, hitting myself in the head, like, why did you do that? But by doing that and making a mistake with it, I've learned from it. Um, you know, I've learned kind of the right way to go about things. Um, Mate, I totally agree. You you wouldn't want to punish yourself for something no, that no. you've done once upon a time. It's the problem isn't the mistake and, and it's it's the intention, if you like, and not growing from the mistake. That's that's my take on it. Um but yeah, like it, you're you're a student of life in a sense. You're always going to be growing, you're always going to end up changing your mind. I wouldn't yeah. I'm sure you know this, but you can't beat yourself up for something you've done once upon a time with good intention. As far as what you say about no one likes to feel wrong, I think it's one of the best skills to have as someone's mentor, leader, or coach, if you can make someone oddly excited about being wrong or oddly happy to seek incorrectness in their own opinion, I think you're going to possess leadership skills that not a lot of people are able to possess based on the fact that I don't think it's something people do with enough tact. And I kind of define tact as the ability to tell you to go fuck yourself and make you look forward to the journey. And if we can do that, for people maybe not as harsh because yeah. nobody wants to be told that it's a really good skill to possess if i can get you more introspective because i create a level of a healthy uncertainty and skepticism in your mind and your thoughts and your knowledge so that not that you'll feel wrong or stupid so that you will seek more intelligence and weight behind your own argument and you'll entertain the idea that you can argue what you currently believe and you can argue the other side of the argument and now you're more well-equipped to handle debates because you're no longer attached to the way you see the world. It's like, oh yeah, you know, I see your point and I still stand by what I believe. Yeah. You're, you're open to like the two sides of the coin. Um, and yeah, that is, it, it is really powerful to be able to help people do that. Um, and I found particularly with anyone that's done like slimming club, uh, like Weight Watchers and Slimming World or whatever, um, I found it particularly handy to be able to get them to to question why they believe certain things like why are certain foods bad why are certain foods sin free and all of this and then once they actually question it they see that there's no actual you know evidence to back it up I suppose so then they start getting into the habit of questioning themselves and their beliefs and then that's where real I think weight loss happens because the barrier is broken down and they're not just following a plan they're actually asking themselves why am I doing this why does this cause this and I think it's just that level of like just being able to question everything, I suppose, is, is super helpful for anyone looking to lose weight, I think. Um, well, if you think about it, if you ask somebody to lost you for a second.
Are we back? Yeah, you're back. Yeah, sorry. It just dipped for a minute. You're in Vietnam, Great. so. Yeah. <laughs> Some but sort we're, of we're still, still recording? Yeah, yeah, still recording. It's fine. Great, excellent. So if you think about it, if, I, if, you, say, if you tell me a food's bad, what happens? Like, tell me exactly what happens and what quantity. Five grams, 500 grams, 5,000 grams. What, you know, I need to, that's something that I find very useful in terms of monitoring, hey, my own thoughts about certain things that I might have deemed bad or good. Bad in all contexts, bad in all situations. So even just like, what's the fear? The fear is usually, if we're talking weight management, that I'll eat chocolate and between somewhere between no chocolate and the loss of control, I'll wake up significantly heavier tomorrow, a heavier body weight. How? What amount? How does that work? What mechanisms control it? And again, I've seen good, good feedback, good results from clients by just beginning to question things more. More questions than orders as the coach, I think, makes you a more powerful leader. Yeah, definitely. Um, and what, one thing I like to do is just get them to essentially get them to drive the car and maybe I'm just giving them a push. You know, it's not me driving the car with them as a passenger because if, if you can really help them actually do everything on their own, then they'll never need a coach again and they'll never struggle with weight um, weight issues or even just happiness and stuff um, again. Like, and that's kind of, I think, you know, coaching should be a short-term thing for people. Um, but just what happens is, a lot of people get into it and they're not being taught, they're not being given the right tools so that they don't know how to then continue after being with someone for a while. Um, how did you, how did you first get into the gym or exercise? Were you always into it or? I kind of been into it on and off since I was a young lad, but I was probably the stupidest person on the planet for the first half of it. I picked up every injury in the world. I didn't realize I actually happened to have, um, you know, very bad arthritis and a kind of a, a bone disease with osteoporosis. Not that that matters that much, but basically I was picking up a series of dislocated shoulders. I thought it was from dickhead lifting, which it definitely was a contributor, but it just turns out that I happen to be quite injury prone. Even now I have to be very careful. And like everyone, I did it to combat insecurities and I thought girls would find me super sexy. And all it did was get me slightly more attention from the guys at school. Yeah. Oh, Paul has slightly bigger biceps and no girls cared. And I kind of picked up a series of disordered eating behaviors, actually, as a result. It's probably because I was picking up fitness magazines where the dude would be on the cover, 6% body fat shredded to the bone, you know, zero carb diet for six weeks, got me these results. And sure, I'd be there 16, no muscle mass whatsoever, trying zero carb diets, no knowledge of the fundamental principles, and then putting myself into a spiral of massively restrict binge. And something that I've been encouraging all my clients lately is that when you try and undertake a goal, without understanding the underlying principles or mechanisms, the opposite of the desired result is the most likely outcome. And I think that's a very important thing to understand, like yo-yo dieting. You don't understand the principles. You have a series of half-truths and a series of non-truths. And you're trying to put them all together to form any kind of semblance of a diet. But I've seen people on yo-yo diets, for example, that are, let's say, I think we all know this cycle, that it might be things like unlimited pasta, which would still be quite a calorific food. And then maybe kind of 2,000 slimming world yogurts because they're quote unquote free so you'll have people who are consuming like more than a full day's intake of calories in and of itself anyway in the most miserable way possible and then inevitably when that mindset is worn too thin the fuck it mindset comes you know what the hell what the fuck fuck it button as i call it and then people are still consuming a lot of calories from their normal diet and then 
you know, going into these kind of binge yo-yo tendencies. And I had a similar thing when I was young because I didn't understand the principle and I was paying attention to too many bodybuilding magazines. So I worked through that and I spent a couple of years working through it and nobody knew. I, it's something that I kept to myself and I talk about it the other time on my own channel because it's something deeply personal to me, but I, most of my friends would not have known or else they did and I just lack self-awareness, one or the other. And I managed to get rid of a lot of those cycles and into my early 20s and then I went competing in men's physique briefly in my mid-20s and that just, the search for the perfect body just really, really completely exacerbated all my disordered eating tendencies to the point where it was quite debilitating again a lot more than people probably knew in my life at the time and I just decided it wasn't a cycle that I could stay in and <clears throat> I knew I had to pull myself out of it Dana so I just started blogging I started blogging on WordPress about my experience like, I think I wrote one blog called that fine line between complete obsession versus mastery and that went quite popular and I just I thought I was going to appeal to other recovering physique athletes if you will people who are leaving that lifestyle and what happened was i got a series of slimming world or slimming club yo-yo dietists telling me that they had a very similar feeling of the lack of control same cycle same spiral and my, that's how my passion grew I, i'm not a fitness guy and you know, I, I very much don't have any interest in defining myself off my bicep peaks or my former six-pack abs but what i do love deeply love is i i get very stimulated by intellect and conversation and depth and even something that might sound trivial to you i think you'll understand it for sure since you're in the field fitness starts as a get me sexy endeavor and usually ends up with most people asking deeper questions about fulfillment and life in general and i really enjoy question conversations about fulfillment and life and curiosity so as i've become a slightly older person and hopefully a better trainer and and, and definitely what is no doubt now many people's leader in a context of a coaching business i can't take people any deeper than i've gone myself i believe that i don't think you can you can have all the theory all the theory in the world theoretically i know how to win the ballon d'or but if Lionel messi shows up tomorrow then i'm not winning that ballon d'or and but i'm not winning it anyway but you get my point it's just like theoretically i know how to be Theoretically, I know how to be 5% body fat, but I'm probably never going to do that again. Theoretically, I know how to run a multi-billion dollar company. I'll tell you that because I've read the books. Probably never going to do it. So you can't take anybody deeper than you've gone yourself, in my opinion. So what I've ended up doing is I've developed a real interest, Dana, in just behavior, human behavior. Um, what makes people take conversation? People, I, I love people. I sit in Starbucks and sometimes I'm working and this is absolutely true. It happened this morning. A couple sat down beside me just for seat availability, not because they wanted to chat, but then they ended up chatting to me. And, you know, they asked me, was I, was I working or could I chat? And head off, headphones straight off, laptop down. And I thought talking to old people is way more educational than whatever the hell I'm doing on the laptop right now because old people have lived life. And I just, everything in terms of the experience I've gone through and then the amount of introspection I've had to do, plus the education, of course, no doubt about it, the amount of clients I've been fortunate enough to work with has given me a genuine passion for helping people create a sense of self-awareness around fitness. It doesn't matter what your calorie maintenance is if you don't want to live that lifestyle. And that's what I'm trying to get people aware of. It's not just on the diet, off the diet. It's how do you want this to affect your life? Like Tony Robbins can come into our lives tomorrow and say, this is how you build a billion dollar empire. And I'll say, great, Tony, but I want to work five hours a day and live happily on a beach. Like I need that advice. And 
and it's it's something I'm, I'm fortunate enough to say, not that I've quote unquote figured out, but I have that self-awareness for my own life right now in terms of how I want to eat, train and work and live. And a superpower that I feel one needs to have a good life is the ability to change your mind. So if I need to change my mind, I will. If I want to do different things in life, I absolutely will. But right now that's where I'm at. And I've, I've, it's funny, I've had conversations with good friends who are doing better than me financially by all societal contexts, telling me that I need to do X or Y or more, but they need to do X or Y or more. They want to do it. I don't want to do it. So why the hell are they telling me? They haven't asked me what I want to do. They haven't asked me my target income, my target life, my target client base, my target happiness. They're just saying, here's what you should do arbitrarily because you run a business. And that's what we as personal trainers do to people. So I know this is a very long answer to your question, Anna, but what I've noticed and what I saw personally a gap for certainly in my client base was, what's your goal? I don't want to project my belief onto you. Like, I know my goal. I already know what I know. You tell me and I will help you get there. And it sounds so subtle. But if I have a lady who weighs significantly heavier than she'd like to, and instead of eating like a bodybuilder on contest prep, she says, I would like to wear a dress comfortably at my daughter's 21st in nine months. It's a very different protocol. And that's what I'm trying to help people figure out is their own level of self-awareness plus the principle the, the, the simple terminology i put on it is there's the external knowledge which you don't get a choice in and then there's the internal wisdom that you do get a choice in so the external knowledge we both know make money is the external knowledge however we we do it make money right we don't get to choose that that's like a business target that's that's kind of a business target but the internal wisdom is what level of work are you willing to do for a specific outcome and don't fool yourself and once you hit that point in anything in life, whether it's nutrition, food, fitness, money, income, lifestyle, job, I think you've reached a level of freedom that not many people actually get to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm getting a lot as well, a lot of people, a lot of clients that are just so, they've tried things in the past, but they're just so not used to a slow, steady, sustainable approach. Um and it's just, I think, really empowering just to see them be able to not be frustrated with progress, but know that the, the path they're on will get them to success with weight long term and, and also happiness instead of just fat blasting for six weeks and being too attached to the scales and that. Um, so what was my point there? Um, just, I guess, that the sustainable kind of approach is... Um, not the the thing that everybody wants to hear, but it's probably the thing you need to and you need to do. And that if you have some sort of a roadmap, like like you were saying as well about the the calories and everything, just if everything's all over the place, you're trying to piece things together. Is this food bad? Is this food good? Um, if that if you piece the pieces of the puzzle together and it becomes a map, you still don't have the destination because you don't know how you're going to get there. Um, and I think that's just the difference between having set beliefs about food and then actually understanding how food works, how energy balance works. And if you can combine that with, okay, how much work am I willing to put in to get out of this? Then that's where you'll be kind of successful. That was a bit. And, of a... and you're not, no, no, it's good. And you're not obliged to live by any rules. What I've seen is certain people don't need more. They need a, maybe perhaps a little bit of education, which is, which is great. We all do. But sometimes people need to be encouraged to relax a little bit. People don't quite need more rigidity within the rules. They need a tiny bit more flexibility within the guidelines. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what, what are some of your core beliefs? 
in life or in life, in yeah, in life. Food? Oof, what a question. Great question. I wasn't expecting this one. I, um, I, 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 I tend to ask very like deep kind of questions on the podcast. Great. It's not what people expect, but anyway. No, th- this might vary on the day that you ask me. I have, I have a few that serve me well. I believe nobody is responsible for my, for how I feel or my behavior. Nobody at any point in time, nobody can be held accountable for how I act. So if you piss me off right now and I react in kind, it shows my lack of values, not your lack of anything. If I, if, if I say I'm such a person and you do something to irritate me or you do something bad and I decide to react exactly the same, then I've sacrificed my quote-unquote values to stoop to the level that I'm perceiving you to be at, which means I'm the fool and I'm holding you accountable for my behavior. So I believe no one's accountable for my behavior. I do believe happiness is the North Star. I know a lot of high IQ people will shit all over that theory and say that happiness is a stupid goal, but that's fine. I think if you're so smart, how come you haven't figured out how to be happy then, Mr. Johnny, high IQ? That's how I see it. So I think happiness is the North Star in life. I'm not saying it's easy to get, but I'm saying it absolutely can be gotten. And I, I think it's it's just the state where nothing's missing. And I do believe that's a mindset. I think happiness is when nothing's missing. And... I believe, because we're in such a sensitive world, it's not your job to know my triggers or it's not your job to know what pisses me off. It's my job to communicate clearly. It's not your job to know my boundaries. It's my job to communicate them clearly. And if you encroach them, then it is up to me to decide to create a, a distance between us because I think lack of boundaries is something big for people. I think it's something that a lot of humans don't consider. I recently worked with a lady who was telling me that she was exhausted from getting only four hours sleep because her housemate would come into her bedroom after work at 1am to chat and my client lacked the boundary to tell them that they, you know, it wasn't okay to come in and wake them up when they had work at 6am. Wasn't able to do so and it wasn't until we worked together, believe it or not, on creating that boundary that she was able to do it. I had another client recently check in and message me say that because of our boundaries conversation over the course of a couple of months that she had left her boyfriend, which left me thinking, whoa. Whoa, that was not the, I didn't know she even had a boyfriend, but it was just clearly she had been reflecting on having some personal space encroached and maybe only brought conscious awareness to it the first time in years and therefore was content to leave. And I've heard other trainers say that before and it never landed with me that you might have the effect on someone that would make them leave a partner in a relationship. Now I get it with a bit more experience. So happiness is a big one. Boundaries. Uh, I think self-awareness is another big one. How do you want to live life? Obviously, I don't have any idea how to teach self-awareness, but I don't actually think in many cases in life, many people have the ability to teach. It's more humans have a certain ability and it's a certain right moment to learn. And when the student's ready, the teacher just seems to appear in a sense, whether it's a good book that falls in your lap or a good piece of advice or remembering the words that somebody once said. And I think life is too short to do what you hate and way too long to be stuck in cycles that don't serve you. And, you know, depending on the day that you asked me, I could have given you any number of different answers, but they're what the one have been on my mind lately. Also completely obscure. I'm going to go with a very obscure one. Yep. We, we play fast and loose way too easily with diagnosis of people. Like I've heard people say, my ex is a narcissist. My boyfriend is this. I think he's a psychopath. I have actually, off the radar, I've never mentioned on social media, had a keen interest in reading up on behavioral uh, um, personality, borderline personality disorder and narcissism specifically, and psychopathy. 
And the only thing I'm learning from all those hours and hours and hours and hours and books that I'm le learning is the depth of my ignorance to a topic I'm not qualified to speak on. And then to have people casually diagnosing other people as yeah. certain things is quite, a, playing fast and loose is quite a big thing. And I think we need to be very careful with what labels we put on other people. And I mean that in all walks of life. There's a wonderful case recently of a boy who was deemed to have poor attention because he couldn't stop doodling in class and the teacher said he was terrible or something to that effect because he couldn't stop doodling. The guy has now been hired to draw the, the tablecloths in restaurants across the chain wherever he works. I don't know the full story, so I shouldn't be talking about it, but basically he has 105,000 Instagram followers and at his sprightly young age of being a young boy, he now has a very successful business. So we need to be very careful what labels we put on people on any level, at any point. We play fa fast and loose too much with our own broken narrative or uncertain overly confident uncertain perspective of the world so there there where i'm at right now cool i'll ask you again tomorrow <laughs> five different answers and five different yeah. spiels and ramblings ain't it um i'd probably i'd give different answers every time but they're all i think they're all beliefs that you do have there's just ones that you can currently think of um so yeah you're living in vietnam at the minute for anyone that doesn't know i'm not sure if you mentioned it but what does i'm interested to know what does a day in the life of paul look like oh uh, so i don't have a particular schedule i'm not one who likes to be bound i think if i dare say i think a superpower is changing your mind happily so if i wake up and certain things don't click i just change things around get up around 5 30 I always go to Starbucks at six for a nice big cup of coffee. People give me so much shit for loving Starbucks, but to me, it's the best. I'm, I'm ready. Come at me, internet. I'm ready for this defense. I have this argument all the time. Uh, Starbucks do great coffee, as far as I'm concerned. Stay in Starbucks for two hours, do some client work, the stuff that needs to be taken care of that day. I usually, this is going to make me sound like a massive dickhead. I usually go then home, go home then and catch two hours of sun. So because the sun shines directly between our building and it's about 32 degrees around 9 a.m., so I usually catch two hours of sun. So I might read a book or listen to a podcast and spend a couple hours in the sun. Then I train. Then I work a little bit more in the afternoon. Then I'll get some food, maybe hang out with Orla for a bit. Then I might do another half an hour, an hour of work in the evening. Then I wind down and I spend the evening with my girlfriend Orla. So it's the nice day. It's, it's well constructed. It's, it's exactly the day I want right now. So I work, I do anywhere between five to eight hours of deep work on any given day depending on the day itself. I also do have five one-to-one -one PT sessions now, starting again last week. So that'll be taking up a lot of my mornings, you know, my 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. slot in the morning. So that's pretty much where I'm at right now in terms of my daily structure. Cool. So it's nothing massively spectacular, but it does nicely for me. So something I've, I've been... Um... I've been liking asking people recently is like, what does your ideal day look like? Let's just remove any responsibilities you have. And let's just say money wasn't an issue and everything. And then get people to tell me. And then at the end of it, I'm like, okay, what do you need to do to, to make that an actual reality? And oftentimes it's not that much for most people. It is somewhere a bit warmer. So, okay, move somewhere warmer. Number two is like work a bit less. Okay. Find a job that pays you a bit better where you're working a bit less or, um, develop a skill online where you can pick your hours and stuff and it actually it is as simple as that but i think people are just afraid of the uncertain and we kind of talked about uncertainty um people are afraid of that and and the lack of security and it's the what ifs and that fear i think prevents people from ever having a day every day that they they want and like and i think that's a 
It's a shame. It is a shame, and fear is very common. I understand it. I could have been it. When I think of all the crossroad moments I've had in life to date, you know, I nearly didn't become a personal trainer to take a job working in the um, Sky TV in the call center. And looking back, you know, I, w- I have no particular passion for working in t- Sky TV as a call center, but I do as a trainer. And I suppose when there's that perceived fear of failing, very difficult thing. But I got very lucky. I talked about my family earlier. My family said, to, my parents just said, will you be happy doing that? And I said, yeah. So they said, go for it. And they told me that if it all went belly up, that I'd always have a roof over my head at home. So at very worst, I'd be without money, but I'd never be without a roof. So that, and in it, it's so funny, you know, I talk about happiness being the state where nothing's missing. I have such a low bar, bar for happiness, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I'm not so sure, but it's such a low, it's my health. And it's now, you know, I've gotten soft now in, in the last six years, like because I have a better life than I would have had six yeah. years ago. You know, I, I remember when I would have, quote unquote, the, the struggle and the, you know, the office job and then the part-time PT for 10 euros an hour and no car and walking in the rain. And, you know, I have I have that kind of soft story to go with if it ever comes up. Not that I wanted to because everyone's got their kind of, it's just not my thing. But now I'm soft. Now I live in the sun, you know, better position. I often wonder... Would I now be afraid to make a massive change and a massive move in life on that basis? Yeah, and I suppose that's probably just being comfortable with where you are. Maybe some people are comfortable even though they're not fully um, happy with and fulfilled with where they are, but they're comfortable. Yeah, true. The, like a salary is good enough to keep you in a place, but the life itself isn't what you look for. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. I get that. And I actually think weirdly that's understandable too because... You know, truth is probably there probably aren't that many people that have the skills required along with the patience and the support in life, as well as the ability to switch off all responsibility to say, I'm going to chase my passion and it's going to be a massive success. So something I can deeply empathize with. There's like two things on the planet I happen to be good at. One of them I do for a career. The rest I'm terrible at. So I kind of empathize with that. Yeah, and I, I think I've been fortunate enough to learn lucky or early on that um, I de- I just did not, I do not like working for other people. Um, and I got that, like I started working when I was 16, 17 and just had a really bad manager, really bad supervisor or whatever. Um, and then another bad manager after that, two different jobs. Um, but that just made me really question, okay, do I want to be working a job where I'm listening to orders from people about, you know, not cleaning certain things the right way and just the small little things and basically taking their vented shit um, and trying to like process that. Um, but that made me, that made me realize pretty early that I was not going to be happy or fulfilled working for anyone else. Um, and then that made, you know, when, when I, let's say finished the leaving cert and all that, I had a course, um, I got my place in the course, but I didn't take it because I knew that I could do that and then, you know, try to figure out what, what's next and end up working for someone else. And I probably still wouldn't be happy. So I took a massive risk and I said, okay, I'm going to go, you know, push the gym side of things. I really love helping people. Um, and I actually came across a text from, I think it was five or six years ago. I was looking for something and I found a message and it said, someone, someone had asked me as a friend of mine, someone had asked me, what, what do you want to do in the next, what do you want to do with your life like after school? And this was in probably transition year or something. 
Um, and I said, I'm not sure really. I really like the gym, but I, I absolutely love helping people. Maybe something along the lines of psychology, but I don't know really yet. Um, but I do want to help people. Um, and then it's funny to see like that's that one um, sort of like a vision I had or, or want I had um, kind of forged every decision I made then along the way to get me to where I am now, where I'm successfully helping a lot of people, like hundreds of people. Um, so that's, that's that. Yeah, no, I'm with you. It's a nice position to be in when you feel you're contributing to what you want to do. Exactly. Um, but you do have to take risks because, yeah, like shit does hit the fan and it will. And you do, like you said, you a lot of people don't have the skills to be patient enough to wait to get what they want. Um, and I know even I, I was on a call with a guy wanted to be a PT and he just wanted advice around setting up online coaching and all that and gave him loads of advice. And then a week or two later, he's, he went back to a different job because he just wasn't seeing the growth quick enough and needed money to come in. Sometimes you have to take a bit of a hit to get what you want. You have to kind of, I know you're a big fan of Gary Vee, but something that stuck with me is you have to eat, eat, what is it? You have to eat shit for a while so that you can eat caviar. That's just, I I had that in my mind when I was kind of, you know, going through the days where money was not coming in and, you know, people cancel on me and everything just not working out. Um, I think sometimes you do have to just put in the bit of work and eventually it'll pay off. Um, I don't know about you, but I've seen as well with, in terms of business that you definitely, you need at least kind of two years and after kind of the two year mark things start to, to kind of go where they want to be. But that's just me personally with photography and with personal training and with online training. If you're any good, if you suck, you need about a hundred years. Yeah. So, you know, I'm sure there are people that have been trying and failing for years, but I think if you suck bullshit, dog shit, pardon, can have all the years in the world, you're not building a successful business. I think it depends on the person. I really do. I think it depends on the mindset, the belief, the ethic, the intelligence, all of it. I think it's hard to say there's an exact blueprint. I always think of someone like James Smith, who has been training people seemingly for a number of years, and I think he runs a multi-million dollar academy. Yeah. You know, he's the anomaly. And then I think of people that have been training for 30, 40 years who are probably still doing okay, you know, ad- adult men who are still doing okay, but don't have that same reach and don't have that same potential. I really do think it depends on the person on this one. Yeah. Um, what, what made you choose Vietnam? Uh, Orla chose Vietnam. Oh. We, yeah, yeah, Orla chose Vietnam. I didn't actually contribute much to the conversation, to tell you the truth, which isn't actually as passive as it sounds. We lived in Barcelona and I loved it. I loved every second of it. It was home away from home. It still kind of is. And when time was finished in Barcelona, which was at the start of 2019, we moved home and I didn't want to. And Orla, I asked Orla, would we move back to Barcelona? And she said, no. And it was because the language barrier and getting a job and stuff like that. And as we got back to Ireland, I got a, I had never had it before. I had never heard of it before, but you know, the, is it seasonal affective disorder? You know, SAD. Yeah. 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 So I felt massively that in January of that year. And I just said to her, babe, I can't stick around another Irish winter. I, I can't like, 
and I was very straight with her. I told her the truth. I was like, I know you don't want to travel, but I do. So like, we need to have a conversation here because I won't see an Irish winter again. And, you know, it was a difficult conversation. And then, I, and, and she asked me, she said, fair enough. She was her that encouraged me. She said, yeah, she goes, similar to how I won't go just for you. You can't stay just for me. We had a kind of a difficult conversation about that kind of stuff. And, and I asked her, was she staying for love or from fear? And then she started thinking about why she wanted to stay. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, like I actually had put the idea to bed. I thought, done. I thought it was over. And she managed to get herself an interview. And I just found out the temperatures, 34 degrees here, seemingly year round. And I just didn't ask another question, man. Once I heard it was hot, I was good. Yeah, you're good to go. Yeah. Good to go. Good to go, man. I didn't do any research. I just landed. Yeah, I think that's the best way to go about things sometimes as well, because you can you can over over prepare and over research things, and then then they often end up not being what you thought they were instead of just experiencing them for what they are. And I I know as well uh, you had a piece about because you said your parents were mentors, great mentors. One of your parents, I don't know, was it your your mom or your dad said I think it was your dad. He said planes fly, or planes fly both ways. Um, My mother. Your mother, yeah. So like. That's the thing, like if you go somewhere, if you make a big, you take a big leap, let's say you try to go and, and you know, take up a new job or a new hobby and it doesn't go to plan, there's always another, there's always another option or there's always another plane home or plane to somewhere else. A hundred percent, a hundred percent as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but I was ready to travel. I love the sun and, yeah. you know, I wanted to go meet new people, maybe learn a new language or two. You know, I was just ready. I couldn't stick around. I also felt like I had... <clears throat> This is how I had felt. I felt like for the growth I wanted to achieve personally, I couldn't physically get that in the country I was from. I needed to see and discover new parts of the world. Yeah. Not, with that. Yeah. Yeah. Not that there was anyone holding me back or anything like that. Just ready to go. Um, cool. And I, I always kind of just think as well, like Ireland or any country you're in is such a small, small piece of, of the whole world. I think it would be a shame not to get to go and see and experience other areas of, of life, like, and just different cultures and everything, I think fascinate me a lot. Hello. I think we lost Paul again. Are we back? Yeah, you're back, but your your internet says it's it's four red bars, so I don't know if that's good. Oh, it doesn't sound amazing. Um, yeah, I just lost you for a minute anyway. Um, I was just saying that, you know, just living in one set area in, in the whole planet and the whole world, it's just such a small amount of space like to occupy and there's so much, there's so much out there to experience, I think. Um, so I think traveling is definitely something everyone should should try to do. Something I agree. It, it's it's changed me so much, man. I mean, it's the biggest cliche in history. I nearly feel silly talking about it, but just there's just something about flying to the Philippines and you know being around certain areas in the Philippines that just made me really understand just how far away I was from home, for example. Um, but yeah, it's you know, something I personally needed to do. But I, I, it's the one thing that I would have said blanketly everyone needs to do. But again, I have clients, young mums, who have no desire to leave home. They yeah. love their home. They're happy. They're happy. And I, I'm, I'm the one that says happiness is the, you know, the goal in life per se. And 
I'd be a hypocrite if I said everyone needs to do one given thing when if you're happy doing your thing, great. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> um, what are what are some of the biggest kind of lessons you've taken from being in Vietnam? I've met some really interesting people, and I think probably the number one thing I've learned in uh, I'm so less so much less certain on what I think nowadays. I have a lot more of an open mind. Um, I think the experience has humbled me a lot. Very much so, in fact. It's weird because I have a very strong sense of self-belief, if I'm to be absolutely honest with you, a very, very strong sense of self and, and a very high sense of self-belief. But it has humbled me as well at the same time. It's just made me very aware of my own anonymity and made me very aware of my own seemingly insignificant place in the world, my own irrelevance, if you will. I've met some really interesting characters. I've met some people who have really contributed to my outlook on life. I've been I've been met with such kindness by certain people that don't have a lot to be necessarily materially kind with who still have done more than I might have done. It's I think it does come down to the being less certain. I think it is just I'm so much more open to the ideas and the opinions of other people now. And you know, I already know what I think, ain't it? And I think being away from home more than ever now has made me realize to just shut my mouth a little bit more, even though you mightn't think it from this podcast and listen and listen to what people have to say and listen to other people's opinion and listen to their experience. And I'm not talking people who are trying to force any kind of, you know, agree with me or your wrong kind of opinion. Just, you know, everyone's got a really interesting story to tell, or at least some, a lot of people I've met have a really interesting story to tell. If you just listen, you'll, you'll pick up a thing or two. I was talking to, you know, a friend recently in a coffee shop and, you know, from Asia and she said something about relationships and she said it casually in passing it was a bad habit she has in her relationship she said it casually in passing she'll never know if I never see her again she will never know and I said in my mind I was like oh I have that same pattern I have that exact same habit and what she said to me was something to the effect of when she's in an argument with her boyfriend instead of just apologizing when she's wrong she feels the need to justify it and in her, in her mind she just wants her boyfriend to know why she committed the error first but seemingly it comes across as more like I'm defending my stance if as opposed to an apology and I can relate because I do the exact same thing and then me and Orla had a disagreement on Sunday and I found myself about to justify why I did the thing as opposed to going yeah I was wrong yeah oh, sorry and just silly silly little things like that have such a powerful way of making their way into how you navigate the world and you just start to accumulate these tiny little experiences and these tiny bits and pieces from people who are smart or who have like you know i already know what i know there's so many people have seen life or seen cultures or things or situations that i'll never have experienced am i am i really going to tell you that they have nothing to teach me that you know that kind of way so just I'm, I'm assembling you know strong sense of, of self obviously but also like accumulating really useful bits along the way from really interesting and smart people that I meet along the way cool and that, that's just by listening not by talking Shut, shutting my mouth in I'm, uh, I'm pretty good at listening surprised. because not anyone that knows me like personally I'm not a big big talker I just much prefer just kind of how I grew up as well as just to be the person that's kind of in the background but I I like to listen and then think about what I'm going to say and what effect it has on that conversation and that person. And is it helpful? And um, I'm not one for like small talk usually. Um, Do you know what's interesting for me personally, just now that I have an opportunity yeah. to share this, because I've never said this to anybody, just to, to make me realize I learned about myself that because I'm quite outgoing and 
it depends who I'm with because I, if I'm not comfortable with the person, I won't speak. Yeah, I, I will just yeah. similar to what you said. I'll consider carefully my words, and I won't speak because I've been in situations, especially here in Vietnam, where I'd be in situations with maybe people from the U.S. who are having a lot of political unrest, and I might say a thing that's not agreed with, and you know, just get barked at by someone who just has a different political. View. I don't have strong political views. I, I don't care. So. You know, that's just kind of made me realize that there are certain times not to open my mouth. But I've been in situations where it's I've been I've heard back from someone, you know, Paul, you're very outgoing. Yeah, you're very, very like enthusiastic. You're very like, you know, big personality. I've heard that feedback. And I've also heard feedback from people who have said, Paul's so quiet. Paul doesn't say a word. Yeah. You know, I didn't get the chance to know that guy. And it's interesting because I am the level of me that I feel comfortable to express based on the energy of the other person. So it's just, and it wasn't an observation I had actually put together until I just started to hear a couple of bits and pieces back from people saying, one of Orla's friends, I was in that group and they said I was a really quiet lad who didn't speak, but I just, I never got an opportunity to contribute to the conversation. But you know me, and I don't shut my mouth. Yeah. So we've been, I don't know how long we've been recording for, but yeah, you do have a lot to say. It's, um, it's funny you say that as well, because I actually had one of my friends say recently that, you know, his dad said, geez, Aina's an awful quiet lad. And he was like, he, his response was, Aina's, Aina's not quiet. He said, trust me, Aina's not quiet. If he's in the right company, he'll talk. And he's the kind of guy that only talks when he feels it's important. And if he has no time to give you or doesn't fully respect you or what you have to say, he's not going to talk. Um, and I could look at him and be like, oh, I'm a quiet person and and you know, look at all the faults there, but I'm trying to find the, the positives in it. I think being quiet has taught me a lot um, because I've been able to listen and decide, okay, should I speak here? Especially if someone's arguing or, or anything, I'm, I'm not a confrontational person at all. If someone tries to argue with me, I probably won't talk or I'll just agree and then walk away from the, the argument, typically. Um, but I think there's, there is a lot of positives from being able to, to know. It's not to know when you need to talk or not, but just... To know that sometimes you don't need to to have something to say to people like yeah. you know? especially if you, you don't agree with what they're saying or the way that they're coming across or you know like i think that's self-respect really um it's a trap i might have fallen into prior now of trying to change someone's mind yeah. i no longer do that yeah unfortunately you can't. um where, where do you see yourself in 10 years no, no, this is a typical, no. <laughs> or even five years, uh, sometime 50%, in the distant future. 50% not a clue. Yeah. And 50% either on a coastal town or coastal island in either Spain or in Asia. Beach, 100% beach. Nice, airy, lighty, modern apartment. And very re- relaxed life. But parts, no idea. Part hope I'm alive, part on a beach. It's about as deep as I think about the future on that level. Okay, um, and then w- with that, how do you, how important do you think having a vision, um, especially when it comes to like you know weight loss? How important do you think it is to have a vision of where you want to go or what you want to look like, or you know? I think it's par. <clears throat> pardon me. I think it's paramount to have. A, a, 
I would say to have a strong vision, I could have never personally vision. Like, I'm not sitting here saying life is perfect. That's not what I'm getting at. But I, I do. Like, I'm a lover of life. I'm a very happy person. And I could have never envisioned that it was possible to be the level of happy that I am now. And I didn't have this vision five years ago. But I had a set of values. And I kind of had a set of ways of conducting those values. I kind of divine to find values as, you know, kind of little rules or things that I hold for myself that make life better for me and people around me. And those values technically guide me through life. So, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I value, I value freedom. And when I got very clear in the fact that I valued freedom, it was time and financial. They're the two. So time is the one that, that was the next available. Like I'm never going to be in, maybe, maybe some freaks are, but I was never going to be in my mid twenties and early thirties and have this financial wave of freedom. Like, so I kind of said, right, well, let's make that a goal, but like, let's be realistic too. Let's make time freedom first. Because if you have all your time, then you can start doing good things with business. So freedom was one. Uh, honesty was another. For example, I value relationships and where I can be myself because what I've learned from my Spanish teacher is sometimes I will say certain things about issues on feminism or on social societal issues on things that I don't even fully believe, but because they're the first time I've aired them in a, in a you know, out loud, I don't say them and that represents my opinion well. And she, she, for example, never goes through me. We don't quite think the same on many things, but she'll be like, oh, that's an interesting thought. I, I wouldn't have thought you think that. I'm like, I don't even think that. Let me say that again. So I like to be honest with people, but I like the, the lack of judgment that comes with it because I think you need to genuinely encourage a space where you can be yourself and make errors and, and grow authentically. Um, I like trust. Trust is a very big one to me. Not again because I'm a saint, but partly because there's just no value in betraying the trust of people I love. I think it's a bad long-term solution. So part selfless, part selfish. Uh, and then things like happiness and you know things like having a strong set of, well, I'll never sacrifice, say, my sense of who I am for money, which means I'm not going to sell my time for money if I don't want to do that. And those things, for example, help me always make the next right decision in life at any given time. So as I told you before we went on the air, I was asked to do a bit of work tomorrow, completely out of my comfort zone. And financially, it's a poor decision and it would have led to me letting down two clients. So it's a no. Now, I want to do the work. I was excited to do the work, but it disrupted my values. I couldn't do it. Yeah. So I don't know where I'll be in 10 years, but I do believe that as and when I change my mind saying, OK, I'm 33 now, maybe kids are involved or I'm 35 now, maybe it's time to maybe it's time to purchase a house or when, you know, maybe it's time to get a dog, you know, small things like that, that actually do make up life. They're not small. As long as my values are in the right place at any given point. So then I would argue with weight loss, you might argue you're 70 pounds from your target. Cool. That's no problem. You know, it's, it's, it's honestly not important where you are. It's where you're going. So you might say, well, I value my social life. So I'm keeping that one night out and I value health. So I'm walking every day. And I value honesty, so I'm not going to lie to myself. And I value feeling full, so I'm going to be nutritionally dense. And then you might say there's a set of values that take you closer to your end date. And then someone might be saying, oh, are you allowed to eat chocolate? And are you allowed to go outside Saturday night? And people can be like, that conversation is so, you know, so far past that mindset. I have a series of values and, and I merge it with my education and my own specific sense of self. And then that will take you further because, you know, you, if you have 70 pounds to lose, it's probably hard for you to see the results. But, you know, I, I've seen clients of mine, uh, you might know one or two personally that have like lost life changing weight and gone into like get into like very optimized shape, like incredible shape. And likewise, I've had people that have lost weight, but with no real interest in fitness where it is an ongoing, you know, balancing act to stay healthy. So it's, it's not for me to finger wag and tell anybody how, what values to have. But it is very important that you have some set of values or guiding philosophies. 
that take you through the more difficult parts in life, in my opinion. And I was recently in a very, very difficult position. Uh, I don't want to go into too, too, too big into details, very uncomfortable position for me to be in. Um, and it could have been financially quite lucrative for me, but it really betrayed something that I hold strong to me. So I couldn't accept it. And I rang my sister because I knew she'd be honest. And I asked Dorla and I rang my parents. I was like, you're all going to be very honest with me and I need your advice here. And all four of them, well, actually Orla was the one that said like, you need to think long-term for yourself. You know, you need to weigh up. Will this betray who you are? Will this yada, yada, yada. So Orla asked really good questions, but my family straight away went, no, that betrays who you are. And I couldn't accept. And I'm really glad I didn't because I always say my relationship with myself is how I sleep at night, but that's easy to say. But then you go and, you know, do a different thing in real life. You're lying to yourself. And as the old Richard Feynman philosophy goes, never fool yourself and you are the easiest person to fool. So again, long, you know, you talk about having a lot to say in a, um, this podcast. I definitely have a lot to say. But I think having some sense of values and some sense of um, non-negotiables in your life yeah. that guide your day to day, I think are really important. Yeah, I really do. Very big on non-negotiables. Um, and I think as well, just having, like you said, the values, a set of values um, are so important because then you, you're you able to say no and not just say yes to everything that comes to you because then you're you're essentially not forming like kind of the life that you want. You're just kind of saying yes when every opportunity arises. Um, and that's something I've had to learn recently is to say no to things. You know, and ask yeah. yourself, okay, all right, this thing might make me a lot of money or this thing might help me lose weight for six weeks or whatever it might be. But does this like serve me as a person long-term and my current values, you know, and that's something I think you have to ask. Um, that I'm, I'm glad as well you talked about weight loss because I kind of wanted to get into just if someone has, I just wanted to get some tips on like, let's just say if someone's listened, they have a significant amount of weight to lose. If someone's, even let's just say two stone or more than that, because it, it, I think personally it's quite easy to lose, lose the first stone. I think anything kind of after that is it's harder to lose a lot of weight and keep it off. What tips would you kind of give to anyone looking to lose a lot of weight? It's tricky here because there's obviously no one fits all. And I'm actually going to go a slightly different route with this one, if that's okay, because yeah. I imagine with yourself being a practitioner who I'm certain value science and the scientific method and the scientific philosophy and and then avoids all the other nonsense I think it's going to be a case of certainly in my experience you see this is a bias this is an availability bias that I certainly have is a lot of the times people will need to unlearn a significant degree of what they have learned so basically how I look at it is if you find a sustainable approach on day one and it starts to take you down to your target weight. You know, a lot of people worry about like metabolic adaptation. Basically, you know, I'll stop responding at some point, but you will stop responding when you're a smaller entity because you're no longer have to feed a bigger entity. So your calorie balance or your calorie maintenance is going to drop, obviously naturally enough. So if you manage to find something relatively sustainable from day one and trust in that process and as your body weight comes down and you see this being a genuine lifestyle, then you can almost maintain that level of 
calorie intake now and then choose to get your stimulus or your overload from exercise. So let's let's say for argument's sake, you have a rel- you see people worry about calorie numbers way too much. You don't need to worry about that too much at all, in my opinion. I go with a start where you are now approach, like literally everyone starts where they are and they adjust accordingly. And let's say That's instead exactly of getting it, because I always said, yeah, and it's a great way to do it in my opinion, because instead of saying overwhelming people into thinking they need a new diet. They can start now or there with their current diet. And it might be too abundant in calories, not abundant enough in nutrients and not abundant enough in protein. And you might just flip that. And all of a sudden with those really, really solid nutritional habits, plus a growth mindset, you'll start to head down towards your target eventually, in my opinion. And if you're not heading, don't panic. Don't throw the baby out with the bath water and stay in a fuck, fuck it button cycle. Just, just make the next possible change. Get your overload or your stimulus from training. Don't use training to batter yourself or to burn calories. Never, never again. Use exercise as a particular stimulus. If you want to get better at weights, do weights. If you want to get more muscle tone, do weights. If you want to be a better marathon runner, run. If you want to be a better sprinter, sprint. Don't randomly do workouts and hope, unless you just enjoy it. That's another story entirely. Enjoyment is the one caveat there because I think enjoyment is amazing. And if you love jumping around, fucking have at it. Yeah. And, and then obviously just stay active through a, through an activity count you know we're so obsessed with step counts these days but value value someone who likes health like i haven't gotten out for my walk yet today and so i'm going to go for a walk after this i'm not going to count my steps right now you might say easy for you personal trainer and, and i agree yeah, yeah easy easy for me agreed because of the knowledge and the history i have absolutely but at the same time i'm someone who's never really tracked steps i think i've tracked calories for a few weeks in my life so it's more of a case of my diet and my lifestyle isn't so restrictive that i hate it and I would actually encourage people to loosen the loosen the rigidity and encourage a little bit of flexibility. So I know it doesn't fully answer your question in specific detail, but vague information could actually do more harm than good. So I'm hoping people might actually just consider a few evidence-based principles that tend to work and then consider unlearning perhaps a lot of what they might have learned just in terms of extremes or um, things like that. You know, and, and I would even if you're never going to pay a solid evidence-based PT, and I very much understand that, most PTs will help you for free for to some degree. So it's always worth Mess. worth asking someone you trust. Yeah, I think so. I do. I think I think it's always worth asking someone that you trust, someone you think has your best interest at heart to to get some baseline thing to follow because it's certainly not as complicated as the diet industry has made it out to be. No, and that's a it's a lucrative uh, industry like selling fat fat loss and weight loss supplements and diets and all of that. So like their, their goal is just to make money. It's not to have you achieve long-term success because then they'd make less money. And that's one thing to note as well when it comes to most fat loss, or probably any fat loss supplement. I, I, there's no fat loss supplement or sleep, which isn't really a supplement, but there's no fat loss supplement that I would prescribe. Um, do you have any tips then on, let's say someone has lost, okay, let's just say halfway towards their target weight loss goal. And for some reason, they start to kind of self-sabotage. It can be a case of, in that instance, referring out sometimes. Again, this goes back to my belief that we're too quick to diagnose. Yeah. Self-sabotage. How do you know? That's what I want to know. How do you know it's self-sabotage? How do you know it's just not a difficult week? And if it is a little bit deeper than that, and there is something a lot more... um, at the root cause of it, then it is something that would need to be seen by somebody out of the the, the, the scope of personal training and more into the, the realm of, of therapy and into the mind. Yeah. But I think we're too quick to say self-sabotage. 
I, I really do. I think we're too quick to diagnose every single problem as some kind of all-encompassing issue when in reality you're human and pizza's really tasty and dieting's quite difficult and it's not always all of one or all of the other. So that's the context of a one-to-one -one conversation to give you a very short answer as far as I'm concerned, because I've seen people in that exact situation who just needed a diet break and, and, and I've steadied the ship. And then I've seen other people who have genuinely suggested to me or I've suggested to them that it's time to refer out. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a question I was going to ask you, which is like, what are some of the rules or guidelines you have for life? But I think you've already answered that earlier. Um, yeah, because it, it transcends into everything. What what are some of the most common, uh, what are some of the most common like misbeliefs you see with clients losing weight successfully? Like, what kind of misbeliefs or misconceptions do they have that's preventing them from losing weight successfully? One common one common one is that you need to have your exact calories. Uh, for example, I I use a start where you are approach, and a common trend I've seen is. I'll often get people to literally just log food without, without an intent to hit a number so I can see what they do currently. And then they'll, they'll, they'll do so. They might do it on a pen and paper or they'll do it on a, on a MyFitnessPal app. And for example, one common thing that would have happened once upon a time, and I'm really not saying this in a judgy way, I'm saying this in case people fall into the trap and it saves someone, is they text me and say, Paul, I went over calories. And I'll say, based on what? Based, based on what I decided or based on what the app decided. And I'll say, but I didn't encourage you to do that. And they'll usually say something. Yeah, I know, I just decided to. And I'll say, based on what and there's no basis and then it's very much this well i went 27 seven sorry i went 27 calories over my 1800 and at 1827 day fucked start tomorrow new diet bucket button so there's uh, it's the kind of the black and white mentality again the, these are the the common thing that i've seen with with people who i think people are so fed up of diet rules i think people are fed up of meal plans personally I think people are fed up of exact calorie numbers. I think people are fed up of just food always being on the mind at every thought. I think people need a little bit more habits and structure. Some advice I gave to one of my clients who lost 30, one of my clients, for example, who lost 30 pounds, I told her eat four meals a day and don't think about it any deeper than that. And of course, that's not very sexy advice, but you create that structure of eating at similar times every single day, breakfast, lunch, dinner, supper, or meal one, meal two, meal three, meal four. And then all of a sudden that might be calorie tracking becomes the intervention that governs the calorie balance between those four meals but those four meals become your habit if it's the snacking or the seating things like that and it gives people that kind of feel of like i say structure to the day habits in which to eat off and hunger is more theoretically hunger is more psychological than it is physiological in the context of we tend to eat to our programming so to speak your hunger comes in waves more than anything so you'll notice you're hungry around your usual breakfast time but if you don't eat breakfast that hunger goes away and then you aren't hungry again for a few hours now i'm not suggesting people don't eat breakfast i'm just suggesting the power of our psychology in in the ways in which we eat so you could create a structure and you could never track a calorie and that's great and just eat four meals a day that's what i do so when i get frustrated people who are who want to make their protocol harder ask me what I do and I tell them I eat four meals a day. And for context, some evenings it's potatoes and meat and salmon and other nights, the other time it's a small pizza. I don't have a meal plan. It's how I feel on that given day, understanding the consequences of my actions. And that needs to be sustainable. So that's kind of where I come at it. Again, it's quite a vague answer and I know, but most of these, in my opinion, conversations need to be had in the context of a one-to-one -one conversation. So by highlighting pitfalls, I just want people to never fall into these traps.
Yeah. Um, with just with kind of calorie tracking and all that, I know it's very useful because it does come down to calories. And if you're going way over in the calories and if, if you're eating the right food, you're still not going to be losing weight. Um, but let's say you have somebody that's been tracking for a lot of years or months even, and they want to transition from tracking to just kind of eating more intuitively and more for nourishment. What kind of advice would you give? Track intuitively away from calories. I think I would make people aware that what they eat will impact how much they eat. And if they tend to eat a nutritious first meal of the day, for example, and more things, more fruits, they're more likely, fruits are more likely to manage weight easily. So I would suggest that people, and this is the boring stuff you'll have heard time and again, but more people think about lean protein sources, your standard fish, meat, eggs, protein powder, etc. And then just be very aware that the more they can get full from their diet and nutritional practice, the less they will need to worry about calorie tracking. Because if your diet isn't full of M&Ms and Skittles tracking those calories to make a certain number, you don't have to worry as much. If you do something like what I've done today, for example, which is I had a, a wrap for breakfast. Sounds strange, I know. I had a wrap for breakfast with salmon and salad. I basically had a salad in a wrap, in, in a bread. And I've had people look at me like two heads when I eat bread. It's about 180 calories for the whole wrap and then plus the salad. And the, bait, and the salmon. So that's breakfast. And then I had, for example, just like porridge and protein oats post-workout. And I'll have another meal, maybe fruit-based meal, and then I'll have my dinner. I don't need to track calories because I'm not binging on porridge. I'm not binging on fruit. I'm not binging on anything. If I was on a very, if it fits your macros approach, then obviously I need to because you will probably want to overeat or at least the temptation will be there to overeat on things like pieces and sweets. So yeah, I would just encourage people to be very aware what they eat will affect how much they eat. So pay attention to how they feel after certain foods. Yeah, and it's not it's not the, the box of a good food, bad food. It's just some food is going to leave you fuller for longer. Other food is not going to leave you full whatsoever and be quite calorie dense and that's not going to be in line with your goals. Um, so it's just to kind of weigh them up and make a decision. Ask yourself, are you actually... Do you actually want to eat this, you know, piece of chocolate or whatever it is? Or are you just eating it out of habit or because you need a bump of energy or because you think you're hungry, but you're not actually hungry? Um, I think that's that's pretty helpful as well. Um, uh, what, what are some of the underrated kind of fat loss tools then that people might be unaware of? Walking. Structure. Habits. Self-reflection. I would say those. Yeah. I would say they're the big ones. Did you say sleep? Oh, sleep. I yeah. didn't say sleep. How the hell? Sleep is... I know. I, I spend my 90% of my life talking about sleep, Aina. Yeah. Fuck uh, me. Um, I just have two more questions. Nice way, ni- nice way to save me there, though. Like, sleep. I appreciate that. And I, I was literally talking about it before this podcast when someone said you know ask me why sleep would affect fat loss yeah well it's more time awake more time awake which is more time to eat if you go super practical uh, you might be a bit more fatigued in your decision making in a tired state leaving yourself susceptible to decisions you would normally make mm-hmm. then you actually 
theoretically have your hunger hormone higher and your fullness hormone lower, which means you're actually physiologically more likely to overeat in a very fatigued state. So yeah, man, sleep, Jesus, sleep, self-reflection, walking, yeah. and I can't even remember the other one. Oh, habits and structure. Um, and then just actually with sleep, have you worked with anyone um, that's done like night shifts and stuff like that? And what would your, yeah, what would your advice be around that? Assuming that the job won't change and the career won't change, I always just encourage people, practically speaking, just don't worry about the days and the nights. It's when you wake, wake up to when you go to bed. Treat that as your eating and working day. And when people are trans, I think I have a couple of Gardaí, when people are transitioning from a day shift into a night shift where they might have like a, you know, a crazy awake period, then we'll structure it that there's more food or more meals those days. For the reason that they're awake longer, they're probably tired and they need to eat more. But just generally speaking, treat it like the same as you would if you're getting up at 8 a.m. instead of getting up at 8 p.m., say. Yeah. Cool. Um, what are your biggest fears? The death or something happening to someone I deeply love is by far and away number one. Yeah. Maybe to some degree my own deteriorating health to some degree. As I also don't age, love belly buttons. Or... No, age, I'm cool with age. Age is great. I'm talking about like a a spontaneous accident or or drowning. I'm not a particularly good swimmer. Uh, belly buttons don't excite me, believe it or not. That's a weird old phobia, I know. And yeah, I think it's the, the to be sincere though, it is the, the death or the, the something happening to somebody that I deeply love. That's, that puts everything into perspective for me. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I definitely agree with that one. I think it 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 kind of makes you, it, it reminds you that life is very short. If someone does die, that's somewhat close to you. You hear of someone passing away that's younger. Um, it just reminds you that life is very short and you have to kind of celebrate the little things and not just be so caught up in work and trying to to achieve everything. Like sometimes you just need to enjoy life and be present and kind of mindful. Like I think that's, super important um i couldn't agree more dude i could not agree more with the present and the mindful i honestly couldn't um one one thing actually with that that i find super helpful and it's something i got through counseling was just when you're when you're outside and about or whatever and anytime you can think of it just try to ask yourself what like you know five things what five things can i see what five things can i hear and then you know what can i taste what can i smell because we're not, we're always so kind of distracted. Most people don't even go outside without being on their phones. Um, you don't often take in what's actually around you and you're not even aware of your senses. So I think that's been super helpful for me. It's just to try to look at, okay, there's a bird flying over there. There's leaves blown. There's a guy cycling on the road. <laughs> there's a red tractor. Um, you know, the I'm, I'm with you, man. Yeah. I'm with you. Feel, feel the air on your skin feel certain breaths going into your body, check the position of your shoulders, of your body, 100%. Their daily practices, I think, are an absolute inevitability. Or not inevitability, pardon. I think they're a necessity. Um, And then just to wrap up the podcast, I do ask uh, a question at the end. What is happiness to you? What does happiness mean to you? A state where nothing's missing. And that's it. it. (laughs) Cool.
it's such a it's such a funny question because sometimes you get a five minute or ten minute answer and sometimes it's just one or two lines. I wanted to go down the, the answer of slightly longer realistically and what the hell do I know? I think if I was to give it a tiny bit more nuance to me, it's a it's a life I lived. It's a life I lived true to me. Uh, that, And I think about this a lot. I really do. If I died now, like, for, for example, I often think of those really angry activists or people who, I mean, unfortunately, here's here's something that I don't love saying. Would you ever read anyone's social media post and they've almost got their identity wrapped around their audience? They're basically talking to themselves in their post. They're not talking to their, you know, like, dare to be different, dare to be unique. Da, 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 da. Here's a lot of advice but really they're painfully talking to themselves and it's very obvious to see they're stuck in a spiral at least that's something I, I notice often I often see all this stuff particularly people who are really angry activists who you know the world really bent over to fuck them and you know poor them and I think if something happened now where they became more aware of their own mortality they, the light would be shone on how much shite they talked and how they wasted their own lives trying to change the world instead of changing the one thing they can do, which is change their own behavior and literally in doing so waste their life angry and in a state of always being riled up and in a state of always being at the mercy of anybody else who chose to pull those, you know, push those buttons. And I always think to myself, if I, and this is, this is quite grim, but I really do this in, I've been doing this every day for, I don't know how long. If you showed me my own mortality today, I like to think I would say, well, at least I lived a life happy. At least I, experienced love and I got to live happy and that's ultimately all I think I'll be able to do and it's all said and done my suspicion tells me that it will be a case of well here's your mortality mate if it doesn't happen in a tragedy that's spontaneous and I go ah it was about living true to myself okay you you did it Paulie that's kind of the goal that is the goal so that's my real answer and also the statement nothing missing yeah, one for me is is massively just to to kind of live with as little regret as possible. So I know that's hard to do, but if there's something you actually want to do, go and try to do it because all you can do is fail and then at least you've tried it. Um, and I think that actually hit, it really hit me when I was I was in transition year and I we went to a nursing home and we were interviewing old people and just writing down kind of their life stories and things like that. And a lot of them were like, you know, giving advice and saying, like, whatever you do, don't live a life full of regret and, you know, chase your dreams and do the things you want to do because life's too short and all that. And that just really hit me. Um, but yeah, um, it's a good answer. And I oh, thank you. We'll... I feel like an imposter. I feel like a fraud saying these kinds of things sometimes. You know, half the time you think, I'm really smart. These make sense in my head. And then you try and speak and it's like, oh, wow. You know, I, I know 2% of what I thought I knew. Yeah. Well, it's definitely, it's, I think it's definitely helpful. Um, there's value, value in all that you talked about anyway. And I think someone, at least someone will get one thing from it. And that's all. That's all I hope. I hope so. I'll um, keep my fingers crossed. Yeah. I've done a few podcasts lately and I've done, been a guest on a few podcasts. I, I saw that actually. Like, yeah, yeah. And I've got some nice feedback and nice messages on one or two of the bits I've said, which I didn't think I had said, but apparently I did. So, I mean, other people could listen and think this guy's an idiot and say la vie. But hey, I'm speaking to the people who might be where I was a few years ago and yeah, maybe agree with some of what I say. Yeah, a lot of a lot of the advice we give, I think, is advice that were given to our younger selves, that mistakes that we made along the way. Um, 100%. 
I'm just going to wrap this up anyway. Um, where can people find you? Social media. Instagram is probably the best bet. Instagram, Paul Dermody PT, or my own podcast, Paul Dermody Podcast. And that's kind of where I'm most active. Um, You're still yeah, writing blogs, are you, as well? For anyone that's interested. I, no, I haven't been. Okay. I don't think so. You well, I've been writing, but I haven't been posting them. On Medium, isn't it, anyway? I had been, but I've been just therapying myself and not posting them. Um, and one question as well. How is the book coming along? Is that? I have about forty or 50,000 words written, but it's okay. in a different word document. So I just need to kind of put it together and also possibly rewrite the whole thing because my ego is playing on me massive saying, hey, stupid face, you're not a writer. Remember that stupid face. I'm like, shut up, ego. I'm trying to write here. So that's something that I'm battling with on a daily basis. Yeah, I... I think with that, with the likes of that, though, that's something you're going to, even in five years' time, you're going to be like, why did I write that? And you'll have a new book to write almost, you know? So Hopefully. Uh, I take a lot from the fact that I, I have a particular, this is going to sound so bizarre. I have a particularly strong interest in the trait narcissism. And I've read a lot of books on narcissism. And there's one lady I really have taken a strong liking to her work, her books. I've read all her books. And I like her, her YouTube channel, Dr. Romani Darvis. Darvis Sula. I can never pronounce her surname. It's quite the mouthful. So massive disrespect to her, even though it's not intended. Daravasula. Anyway, Dr. Ramani is what she's known as. And Scott Adams, who's one of my favorite authors, had a tweet that he said, narcissism doesn't exist. It's just a phrase by jealous people. And I immediately went, well, that's definitely not true based on a lot of the research. Like that, That's not true, seemingly. And I'm someone who very much acknowledges his own ignorance in this scope, but I've read too many experts to dismiss narcissism as a made-up concept by insecure people because I, I, I do know the reason I got interested in it was it's quite close to home where I know somebody who I suspect is having their systematic confidence ruined by being in a relationship with a narcissist that's what I suspect okay but I still really like Scott Adams and I still admire the way he thinks and I like his books and I like how he comes to his conclusions but I don't agree with every conclusion he comes to but I, I like how he thinks and for that reason when I hear him say something as outlandish as that and I still haven't been put off him, it makes me a little bit more confident that like I don't go out to polarize. I never do. So at least if I say something stupid and go, oh, didn't mean that, my bad. At least it's forgivable. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you so much for being on and I'm sure I'll have you on again at some stage in the future. Um, my pleasure, Humbre. I meant to say at the start as well, you're the reason I started the podcast. So um Thanks a million for coming on. My pleasure, man. It's been it's been fun. Cool. Um, all right, we'll wrap it up.